Welcome, everybody. It's Thursday, February 29th, 2024. My name is Alexis, Alexis Briggs Brignoni, and I'm accompanied by my co-host, the One Woman Digital Forensics Training Program, the one that's down with the SOPs. Yeah, you know me. I mean her. The one that's unique, like a variable bit hash, Heather Charpentier. The music is higher up by Shane Ivers and can be found at SilvermanSound.com. And we start the show once again. Hello, Heather. Hi. <laughs> How do you like down, that intro this, this time around? Down with the SOP. <laughs> yeah, you know me. <laughs> at least I got the reference. <laughs> <laughs> for, I said for a change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> oh. oh, my gosh. Oh, thank you, everybody. I see people joining in from Instagram and people joining in from YouTube and from all places. So again, we're really, really happy to see you. I got Michael telling us happy leap year, February 29th to all. So I agree. Happy leap year for everybody as well. And uh, what's going on, Heather? What happened uh, this last couple of weeks? Uh, well, I guess I'm training and I'm down with the SOPs the last couple of weeks. <laughs> You have to be. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, doing a lot of work and, um, you know, same same stuff. I'm not writing any scripts this week, though. Uh, I'm, 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 week. I'm disappointed and sad. You, you need to week, pick it up. Week. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like any skill. If you don't use it, you lose it. <laughs> How about you? What's new? Well, I, I have a little DFN... Uh, you know, um, light there on top of my head. So the folks that are listening is in neon lights as DFN, obviously <laughs> digital forensics now, right? And we're on air, another neon sign underneath and, uh, you know, maximum effort. So that'll be a topic, a part of the topics that we're going to discuss today. Um, so Thanks. we have, we have a good show for everybody. Obviously we're still the last day of February. So we're going to, again, uh, share with you a couple of thoughts for black history month. And uh, Heather's going to bring us the uh, the first person that uh, we're going to be celebrating uh, with. Okay. So I chose to present um, Dr. Gladys West as the notable contributor to the field. She um, is an American mathematician known for her work contributing to the development of the global positioning system, so GPS. Um, she was valedictorian of her high school graduating class received a full scholarship to Virginia State College, and um, she earned her degree in mathematics there and later earned a master's degree in mathematics at the same school. She was hired as a mathematician by the U.S. Naval Proving Ground, a weapon, weapons laboratory in Virginia, and she was their fourth Black employee. Um, in 2018, West was formally recognized for her contribution to the development of GPS by the Virginia General Assembly. And that same year, she was inducted into the Air Force, Air Force Space and Missile Pioneers Hall of Fame and named one of the British Broadcasting Corporation's 100 Women of 2018. Nice. So, yeah, so really inspiring, inspirational woman who contributed to the field. 
Yeah, if it, if it weren't for her, we would be all lost. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. <laughs> Some of us are lost even with GPS, but that's another story. <laughs> I would definitely be lost without GPS. That is for sure. <laughs> no, it, and it, it's amazing. Like something we take for granted, technologies, and but there's you know real people, human beings that had to come through a lot of adversity to you yeah. know to contribute and and do things. So it's good to remember them. So that's pretty cool. Actually, um, too, before we switch, mm-hmm. I had. Of course, I did. I forgot to open it while I was talking, but I'm going to throw her picture up on the screen here. Yeah, yeah, let's see her. So this is Dr. Gladys West, who contributed to the GPS. Awesomeness, awesomeness. That's that's pretty cool. So, so I want to, um, you know, we went to follow up with, uh, um, in for Black History Month, um, one of one of, one of the folks saying, like, maybe you can put that picture up, Heather, for the. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this section sure. yeah. um, in, in LinkedIn, obviously we're all celebrating and some examiners were celebrating it. And um, one of the examiners put a, a picture and here's going to bring it out. Still see Eldridge, really capable, awesome examiner. And, and she put a, a little notes of different things that Dr. Matthew Luton King, um, we should know. And some people don't know about, and she make a list of some of those really important ones. And we we're having this discussion and we were agreeing that um, sometimes our history classes are a little bit, uh, faulty in certain parts right so that's why we have this type of celebration so we can be more educated and what what i wanted and we're gonna leave that on the screen but i just wanted to mention a couple of things we, we talk about inspirational people for black history month or for whatever celebration it is but i think it's also worthwhile to remember uh the reasons uh we're celebrating this individual specifically some somebody like dr martin luther king right and i always make a couple of points in regards to his life philosophy and his message and how he talked about the importance of the individual to address three, what he calls systemic evils, right? Uh, poverty, racism, and militarism. And what he, what he meant by that and kind of applied to the, you know, to, to today in 2024, you know, poverty, like homelessness, hunger, malnutrition, illiteracy, right? Um, racism, we can talk about that as prejudice, uh, antisemitism, um, sexism, homophobia, ageism, right? Um, militarism, we can talk about domestic violence, violence, rape, terrorism, right? Um, we all remember Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, really inspiring, but most of us don't really know anything more than that, right? Um, and we also have to realize and, you know, look back at his writings and his speeches and, and recognize that um, for an ideal to actually become reality, it requires action, Right? It requires individual introspection and action. It requires us to demand and ask for our elected leaders to address these ills right? and, and to really speak to our better angels. Right? It requires us to do little acts of kindness every day, um, to put ourselves in the shoes or the mindset of others. Uh, think, how would somebody with a different background from me would see this thing? And appreciate the diversity of experience, of thought, of of colors of mentality and and value them because there's value in integrating those and and recognizing that my viewpoint doesn't necessarily have to be the best one at all times right <laughs> hopefully that makes sense yeah. and if, if we remember those things then we can put a you know put a little grain of sand in, in taking this experience this world and leaving it better than how we found it and that's the parting thought for uh for this week on that <laughs> very good um, actually, before before we continue, I wanna I wanna highlight, you know, they said it's a leap year, so so Kevin being the smart Kevin that he is, he's like more like leap 
<laughs> oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so leap as in log events and properties parser. Some of the, the scripts that we manage. So more like leap deer. Am I right? So I liked it. I liked it. I know it's like a dad joke, but I like it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So so we celebrated that. So what what we got next, Heather? So um, I wanted to mention a new daily investigator episode, daily digital investigator episode that's put on by the Cyber Social Hub, which is um, Kevin DeLong. And he is doing daily, he's he's picking out daily articles that show up in his feed or something that's interesting in the field. And he's highlighting it. And it's a really short listen um, once a day, just a, just a few minutes about an article or a, another podcast or some kind of research in the in the field. So um, if anybody, everybody gets a chance to head on over to his podcast, take a listen. There's some really good, really good things he's talking about on those daily podcasts. Yeah. And uh, on my drive to work, I like to do that. I put a couple of podcasts um, like in a row, like a little semi playlist before I leave. So you can listen to mm -hmm. him and then listen to us or listen to something else. And, you know, you get like a little bit of an education as you're driving. Because usually as we're driving, we're not really, you know, we're just driving. Right. So you can right. take advantage of that time, you know. His are perfect for my ride to work because my ride to work is only 15 minutes. So I can listen to one a day on my way in. There you go. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> You're done with the podcast too, apparently. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing going on uh, is Belkasoft's free Android class opened up uh, a few days ago on the 26th. Uh, they've made a couple changes to the way they're handling it, though. Um, they had such a large number of registrants that they're rolling out access to the course gradually. So if you signed up and registered for that that free Android class with Belkasoft and you haven't gotten your entry key yet, uh, it'll be here. Uh, they said that everybody should have their entry key, I believe, within two weeks of the date of registration. So um, if you get a chance to take that, I know their iOS class was really good and I'm looking forward to taking the Android class. And that'll be open for free for a, a month, so... Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Um, I, I don't know if if Jury Jury is you know the the founder of the company and all that. Mm -hmm. He made an announcement yet or not, but they're gonna have like some conference coming in, like you know virtual conference and all that. So let's keep an eye out on that, and hopefully, I'll be able to present. So I'll put in for that, and fingers crossed. So we'll see. Yeah, nice. Um, there was a blog that came out today too. Uh, Ian Whiffen put. A new location blog, which i he's kind of like the locations king. He has so many blogs on locations and what they mean or what they actually don't mean. I'm going to just share my screen here for a second. Uh, let's see. So he did a blog on the uh, MapSync. So in iOS, the Apple Maps, the MapSync database. And... He had some really interesting research in here, some things that that um, came out exactly the way he thought it would. The data in the database was actually <laughs> what he expected, and then some that he didn't expect, some timestamps that he didn't expect. So if everybody gets a chance to head on over and check out that blog, it's really good data. And he actually details all of his testing, mm -hmm. as you can see here in the database, and really lays it all out for for you to see. Yeah, and I, I think if I'm mistaken, that database has some protobuf in it and some other things. So I, I, I'm going to sit down with it and update some of my parsers to make them, you know, based on this information, making it even better. 
And you, you have to be aware. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to wait for the tool to support it and then mm-hmm. we'll see what it is. Um, sometimes, you know, a lot of times, even when the tool supports it, if you don't take the time to understand the artifact, whatever the tool is showing you, you'll be clueless. Like, let's, let's be real here. Yeah. Yes. Um, so you need to understand the background of the output. So whatever output the tool gives you, you can interpret, interpret it correctly for whoever needs it. So. Right. And also these blogs about locations have saved me quite a few times. Locations don't always mean what you think they mean. You, your first glance, you're like, oh, okay. So they, the, the device was in this location and that is not always the case. So if locations are parsed by a tool and you do that, check all locations and send it out, it's going to be super confusing to whoever your end user is. And Ian really helps make sense of which are the more trusted locations that you can find in an iOS device. Yeah, again, and we talked about that last time. We talked about tolerances Mm -hmm. last episode. Well, same with data sources in mobile devices or any device. Some are more accurate than others. They're not, they don't all have 100% accuracy. And I think people just assume that, right? Yeah. And if that's not the case, I even have memes about it, which we can share at another time. But (laughs) um, you need to understand um, how accurate your data source is to put it in context. Um, and if you don't do that, you'll, you'll be making some mistakes or not giving the service that ex- is expected. So, right. so fo- follow, follow and follow, uh, Ian and, and go to his blog and, and benefit one of my main resources. So go check it out. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, and as, as always, we'll put those links in the show description. So you don't have oh, to yeah. worry about writing that down now. Definitely. And so another blog post that was pretty neat um, came out this week. It's on iOS Unified Logs, and it's uh, a blog by, uh, what's his name? Not- Notari, right? Mm-hmm. I, I forgot his name. Um, Lionel Notari, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah, and uh, it's pretty good because what he does is he talks about Unified Logs, and he shows some of the uh, the messages that could be of relevance in regards to Wi-Fi and airplane mode, like Wi-Fi versus a connection with Wi-Fi. Um, it shows what to what it connected, the BSID that was connected, was airplane uh, mode on or off. It, it also shows if you activated it um, by using the control center by swiping, you know, the screen or by hitting the back part. So it shows how that shows in the log. As he's doing his testing. He's looking at how the log records those activities as he's doing them. Okay, so. For folks that are not aware of what the uh, iOS unified logs are, I'm going to give a quick description. This log format is utilized across all Apple devices, okay? You will find it in Macs, you'll find it in app in uh, iPads, you'll find it in iOS, okay? This log format, it's binary format, so you, can, you can't just open it and look at it. I mean, you can, and you can read a few things, but it, w- it will make no sense. So you need to use um, Apple, a Mac computer, to be able to go through it. Um, there's some parsers out there, um, and it's hit or miss because there's a couple different uh, versions of these logs, and it's got a little bit of a hit or miss to parse them outside of an Apple machine, but for sure it can be done. Uh, I just use a Mac computer, which I'll, I'll show you in a minute. Um, these logs end with an extension of, uh, of .trace v3, as in Victor, and there's a whole bunch of them, and it keeps track of that. So. I, uh, again, from we use this for a long time, and if you take that individual log, uh, .trace v3 file, and try to open it, it's going to give you some problems. Um, it's not going to really work. Because there's other considerations. The log needs a time sync information to make sure the time offsets are correct, and it needs 
other information. So the best way that I think for iOS device, iOS devices at least, that I think should be done is by generating first a sysdiagnose log. Okay. When you generate that, one of the outputs will be a compilation of all these logs in a really nice format. That's really easy to open with a Mac computer. I know this sounds a little bit esoteric, but I'm going to show you right now. So um, a good friend of the podcast and personal friend as well, uh, Geraldine Bly, she has a, a, a great article in her, in, her, um, in her blog where she talks about, let me show you here, you can see on the screen, uh, the article is about how to look at these logs and look for airdrop artifacts. The point I'm going to show you this is because as part of showing those uh, airdrop artifacts, she gives a great explanation on how to go about and uh, and getting um, those logs. And it has, you can see there has the pictures, like step by step, go to settings, go to general, privacy. And it tells you what to hit to then generate the logs. And then it, she tells you how to pull them out of the device. Okay. So that's, so go check that out and we'll put her blog post on on the notes for the show, okay? All right, so we got that. Now, what do we receive? So I'm gonna now move, o- move over and open, um, share my, my actual desktop so you, we can look at that real quick. Um, let's share my screen here, screen number two, yep. There we go. So what you see here, it's a little bit small, but don't worry, what I, what I want you to see is gonna be large in a second. You see that um, after you do your extraction of the iOS sysdiagnose logs from the device, you can look in there and get the system underscore logs dot log archive, right? It looks like a file, right? It's not really a file. And let me, let me, let me show that to you. It's really, let's open it with a new terminal there. It's actually like a type of directory. And I know it's a little bit small, but uh, maybe let's make it larger so we can at least see that part. And it's, this, this will take literally a second. So it's so it, I'm going to show you what's inside of it. Much better. So let's do an ls and let's make it minus l so we can see all the uh, metadata for those files. What you see here is how this the sysdiagnose process collected all the logs. These are all these logs here. You can see them there, kind of like hex named. And then you see other directories like persist, signpost, and special. Let's go into let's go into one of those because I mentioned that these logs end in trace v3, right? So let's let's try the persist ones. Let's do the same. Let's do an ls. So look at what's inside that directory and look at that metadata. And this looks a little bit ugly. Let's open the screen. There we go. So you see there the trace v3. Um, logs for that uh, for the persist directory previous log versions were not split in the in directories like that they were like they were called i think log dot persist archive blah, blah 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 and then trace v3 at the end so there's been changes throughout the years of how these logs are are accumulate or you know presented or recorded i should say okay cool so we have them now what do we do with them let's now uh share the full screen again so folks can see that and what you do is, it's really easy. Just go to where that directory where your stuff is and just double click on it. If you, and this only works on a Mac computer, um, I, um, Mac OS. Double click on it and it will open the console, right? Which obviously is opens as a different screen. So let me go to that screen. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you the console, feel the, my pain on the screen changing. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm 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 jumping I'm jumping back and forth on on things now. <laughs> Where's my console? There we go. All right, so I know it's a little bit small, but so it's pretty neat. It has you on the left, top left. It's kind of blocked by a little bit by the, uh, the our logo, but you can put there uh, stuff to look for. And then on the left, under showing here on the left, bottom left, you can select last day, last hour, 30 minutes, five minutes. Uh, select all messages first, so that way it kind of presents them all, loads them. It takes a little bit of time. This is not the fastest way of looking at things. For this, for a single reason that there's a lot of data. This only has data for two days, and it's about almost five million lines of log for two days in the data set that I have. So you, these logs could look could be more a couple of weeks, right, or more. So you can imagine how big that is. So load all your messages, and then you can go up here and look for things. So in this case, I selected the Wi-Fi state change that message, and you can see it here in the center of the screen. And if I go down, you can see look. Wi-Fi state change is not connected, but connecting to Gene Frankel. That's an uh, the name of a router. Okay, just just one example. You can and I recommend folks go through it, see what you can find, see if you like 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 the blog post that we're talking about did. See if you find um, certain indicators or processes that talk about artifacts that you might not see anywhere else. Right? It might be a log of something that's ephemeral, that in your full file system extraction from your device, it might not be recorded anywhere else. It might only be recorded in these type of log files. So pull them out and do some testing. And if you find something that you think is of value, do share it with the community, make a blog post. If you don't have a blog post, you can you know, contact me, contact Heather, and we'll, we'll find a way to make that um, public for everybody. We'll talk about it on the show, whatever it takes. So we can all, all grow with that. So great resource. Um, there's a whole bunch of things in the in these logs. Um, I wish we had we could have, we could do a whole episode on it. So, <laughs> yeah. So just just for the, everybody listening, um, just check check that out. Very cool. So um, today, I think like like 15 or 16 hours ago, uh, Axiom Magnet Axiom started uh, supporting animated map routes. Um, I was scrambling today to find some test data so I could show you guys what it looks like. Yeah, breaking um, breaking news, breaking news. Yeah, there you go. You, you, yeah. you, heard, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I got, I got some data process, so I'm going to just share it up on the screen. And then they have a YouTube video showing this as well. Let me just pop it up here. All right. So when you... Process your case in Magnet Axiom. <clears throat> I have it filtered to just the cache locations. Um, there's a new option over here where you have the column view called route view. If you switch your view to route view, it will bring you to this world map. And you can um, use these route settings over here to choose what you want to show. It has... Support for Apple Map searches, Apple Map trips, cache locations, any locations that are are um, found in your iOS or or Android um, extractions. I chose the cache locations here, and then you narrow it to a date and time. Um, I chose a date and time, and then you calculate routes, and the tool the tool will find whatever routes you have that you in that specified date and time. I had three for the date and time that I chose. Um, and I'm just going to show one. So it's a really short route that I found. But it has this animated map. 
And that's, it's traveling right now at the one time speed, 10 times speed. And then there's a hundred times speed, which is crazy fast, but it also has a record feature to record those in an animated map routes. Um, I thought this was pretty cool addition to the Axiom tool. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you see the little, um, like a little pin kind of semi Google, like the Google map looking pin mm -hmm. moving around the road, or I guess whatever the geolocation points are. Right. And it kind of moves back and forth through that route, which is, which is pretty neat. I mean, it, again, it, it speaks to being able to illustrate this at a, a court or a whatever stakeholder needs it. And you have that visual representation on, of, of how that moves. Um, I guess, I mean, does that need, does that need internet to work or? How's that? Uh, oh yes, yeah. so uh, you have to be able to connect to the the world maps. The the if you have an internet connected computer, it'll work right away for you. If you want to use it on an, a sandbox machine, you have to set up um, an offline map. It's it's a server, so you download. Um, I, I forget the name of it now, uh, but you download a file and set up an offline map server, and you're able to use it offline as well. I have yeah. not I have not tested that feature out yet. Because um, I heard about it just today, so I will, I will, and I'll report back. <laughs> no, absolutely, and that's important because some of our last by policy, we can't have uh, internet connection in our our, our our forensic networks, right? Right. But there's that alternative. Get that uh, map server, set it up, and and you're good to go. So that's another a great option. I, I like this not only for the visual, but like mm -hmm. the broader the broader uh, field. Uh, perspective: How toolmakers are now competing also on features, right? Look, we yeah. have the, we all have the same data, but look, I present it in one way, uh, another presents it a different way, or we make some conclusions based on this data that another vendor doesn't have. So it's it's good it's good to know um, and be aware of what those capabilities are, because a particular case might require this type of map feature, and Axiom as as of now is the one that has it. Right, and um, excellent addition for courtroom testimony purposes, mm -hmm. right? An mm -hmm. exhibit, so. Oh, super awesome. Very cool. Let me stop sharing my screen here. Um, speaking of log files, too, um, Chris Vance actually at uh, from Magnet. He presented at the 2024 Magnet Virtual Summit and in a, a mobile unpacked episode, which you can find right online, uh, recently about locations that examiners can find types of logging data. So the Mobile Unpacked episode is 14, if you're looking for it, and it's titled Logging La Vida Loca. Um, yeah, crafty little name. <laughs> oh, that's, 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 so, that's so Chris. <laughs> that's all him. <laughs> On the website, um, you'll find a cheat sheet, so a quick reference guide, and that is a quick reference to where you'll find all the log files. Um, he outlines five log files from iOS device and three from Android. And um, it'll tell you the locations of the log files and different ways to collect them are included on that cheat sheet. And we'll have the link to that uh, after the show, but here it is for now. Yeah, no, it's, it's I mean, I, I love Chris. I remember we, we some years ago, we gave a, a, a joint presentation or talk at a SANS Differ Summit. And we were talking about, um, talking about deleted sources of data. Uh, if you delete certain the sources of data, how can you get that data from somewhere else? And we went up there and he decided to make it sound like we're in a funeral. Like we're here to remember <laughs> the departed <laughs> oh, sources of data. <laughs> and, you know, and that, that kind of that, that type of spiel. So, I mean, <laughs> and, and he came with that out, uh, on the fly before we you went up on the stage. Oh my gosh. It came out pretty good. No, it came out pretty good. Um, and 
and you know i mean i mean so many years ago quite a few years ago and um that's been part of some of the stuff that we now that i really focus on moving forward that i did with him was looking for those data sources and where they're deleted but if you don't know the data sources to begin with you cannot find if if they're deleted or not or if they exist (laughs) so folks do check out Chris, uh, Chris's blog on that on those topics, and again, really legit guy. So go check it out; you'll benefit. All right? Is it is it my soapbox time yet, or not it, yet? It, it is. I know yes. you're ready. <laughs> yes. All right, all right, everybody. So I've been I've been waiting for the last twenty eight minutes for this part <laughs> of the show. All right. <laughs> um. Oh, the, Geraldine says that she still referenced that presentation from the deleted artifacts. So. Oh, nice. I'm 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 happy that it still serves uh, a purpose. All right. <laughs> Sorry. So my soapbox moment. That's a that's a new. Uh, what what did I call it? A, a segment. A new segment here. We don't do every show, <laughs> where I'm gonna tell people what grinds my gears. Right. And <laughs> this week, uh, it was uh, I we read and. And Heather really pointed that article to me. A great article by Shafiq Punja. Shafiq, again, a really well-known Canadian examiner for, you know, like old school examiner, the, the good ones. I know him from, not personally, but interacted with him online for many years now. And he did an excellent article where um, he talks about, and I, well, I will say this, it's called the, the blog, I'm sorry, not the blog, but the, uh, yeah, the blog where it's published, it's called uh, Bullshitting Hunting, right? And he talks about how he was brought in by, I think it's the prosecutors, to examine uh, the testimony that was given in the case by a detective in regards to the forensics done in that particular case, right? And what he does is, uh, the beginning of the article, he goes and explains, well, this is digital forensics, this is what we do, the Locard uh, principle about, you know, every every uh, exchange leaves a trace or something like that. And... Uh, yeah, I should know that by memory, right? <laughs> <laughs> and explains what digital forensics is, right? Um, and then he says that um, even though, you know, he starts dialing down the testimony. And he describes how this detective went into it. And first of all, he did not do the extraction, right? That extraction of that device, it was a mobile device. He did not generate it. But he received it. He was to process it. And when asked, he highlights in his article that the detective mentioned that uh, he had an eight-hour eight hour law enforcement class on Facebook phones and stuff like that. <laughs> and if your testimony is and stuff and like that and whatnot, that is a problem, right? That's it, not enough? <laughs> yeah, I don't think stuff like that. I mean, I guess it covers a lot, but at the same time, it's not covering anything. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that is not a thing. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he was saying that Celebrite was used and that he plugged the phone and he downloaded things from the memory of the phone, right? And he goes into great detail explaining, well, if you are an examiner, you know that words have meaning, right? It sounds silly, but it does. You don't extract the memory of the phone because what are you why are you talking about memory? Is it RAM memory? Like there's maybe what well, obviously what he was referring to was the storage he downloaded you know the whatever's in the storage of the device right so the point and this is the part that uh again at the end of the article he goes through all the detective's testimony some parts of it um making some critiques on that to make a, a bigger point which is the point that i agree with him and i'm gonna now do my soapbox moment on <laughs> <laughs> um this is happening so too much lately. I've seen it in many, many places where we got folks that come in, 
they take uh, you know a class and they put them up to testify and and you know they they, they model through it right and uh, and that's a problem that that is a problem um the the folks that are you know the prosecutors the juries the the victims of these crimes expect more from us right um, and I think this is a problem and the first point I'm going to make with that is that how do these people get in that position, right? How do you get a person that's only taking an eight-hour eight hour course or a week course, and all of a sudden they're dumping phones and presenting them the extraction and the, the analysis at court with a week-long class? How do they get there, right? They didn't get there by themselves, right? There is a problem with the process in our agencies on how we are staffing these positions, right? And... Um, just because you have a backlog, just because you have some empty chairs and you need to put butts on the chairs, does not justify not really doing it in a way that is preserves the evidence. The digital evidence, and I said it in many memes, I said it before, I believe is the most important part of the case. It's the most important part. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the witness that cannot, you know make a mistake if properly interpreted, <laughs> all right? So um, there's a problem with how we're staffing those positions. Um, and when we staff positions, we have two options, right? We either hire people that have degrees, right? That's one way we staff any position in any corporation, company, structure, you know, place, right? You get a person and, and why do we do that? Because we expect those people to know certain things because they have a degree. Okay, a baseline of knowledge, cool. Or we take somebody from internally, and we training, train them, sorry, give me some training to the level that what you would expect a proper person that's being educated with a graduate degree would be. Does that make sense, Heather? Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah, and, uh, and the thing is that if you don't expect that level of expertise from the people that you're bringing up, you're going to have a problem. If you don't not make sure that they have a training program that's more than eight hours or a week, to be able to do this job, you're gonna have problems. All right. Um, you're taking a course and you're good to go. That's that, this is the thing. I, I guess the mentality is, and and now I'm getting I'm getting warmed up. <laughs> let's say I'm a manager and I'm working. Let's say white collar crimes in in a unit, and I said, you know what, I need bodies. Major crimes. Another unit has plenty of bodies, and I talk to the lieutenant or I talk to the captain, and we're like, you know what, let's do assign some people from that unit to this unit because there's more need. And they, what did they do? They move them. And that's fine. You can have somebody that has investigative experience move to my to my unit or to my squad or whatever. And we train them for a few weeks. We pair them with a mentor and they're good to go, right? That model, which is the model we've used to move people around for years and ages and decades and from, from forever, does not work for digital forensics. You can't take somebody from the road or from whatever other unit and simply sit them in the lab and say, Take a week long class and and pair up with somebody here, and you're gonna be you're gonna do forensics. It's you you cannot transmit that the knowledge that you come from being on the road or from being on another investigative unit. It's valuable knowledge. Don't get me wrong. Are you gonna use it in digital forensics? Absolutely, but it's not digital forensics. It's not transferable. That's what I was looking for. It's not transferable directly to the scientific portion of the job, right? And and we have this mentality of how we move people around that doesn't apply to the lab, to a digital forensics process. I mean, am, am I wrong on this, Heather? No, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I think, so the testifying part is, is the part that's crazy to me, right? When people testify to digital forensics, they need to know the process inside and out. 
They need to know the technical terms and the concepts behind them. And the statement that I've heard so many times, it drives me nuts every single time is, I'm not an expert, I'm just the operator for the tools like PA or Magnet Axiom, right? I, I don't know what all this means. I'm just the operator. I hit the button. I, I don't determine what all this means. Yes, you do. Um, so you are the expert if you are working in the digital forensics lab. Um, in law enforcement, you're often the only and the last person that will be analyzing that item of evidence. You hit the button and it goes off to a prosecutor's office and they need you to be able to interpret that data. You're all the prosecutor has and the victims in the case are depending on you. And if you are just the operator and not the expert, who is the expert? Well, but, I mean, the, the term operator is a term that doesn't exist. I mean, maybe if you're in SWAT, <laughs> right? Yeah. In, a, in, a, in a SWAT team, you're an operator, yeah. I guess, right? Yeah. But th th that, that, I mean, I don't know where the people are getting this idea. There's no such thing as an operator in digital forensics. No. Either either you're, have, you're trained to deal with the evidence in a certain way or you're not, right? Yes. And okay, I do understand that you have different levels of training because you, maybe you can train somebody to make copies and that's okay, right? But right. when we start talking about what the data means, there is no there is no in between here, right? E either you're qualified or not. And when you go to court, they're either gonna qualify you or not. If if, if you're not qualified, you're not qualified. <laughs> you you will not be able to give opinions, right? And well, I'm an your honor. I'm an operator. Anybody will be like, <laughs> you're a what? <laughs> Right. Are you a doctor? Yeah. You, you you operate. <laughs> you you cut people open. I mean, come uh, on. Yeah. And 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 look. And I, now I'm gonna really go off in a limb here. But when it really bothers me because it, I think it speaks to the point of of folks not wanting to take a, not being responsible and be accountable for the work they do. All right. Well, I'm not an operator. It's like I'm here to do the minimum necessary. Right. Is that the attitude we want in our labs? Is that the attitude we want dealing with the evidence that could set somebody that's accused free, right? Or give, make a victim whole in, in that sense, right? Give them, you know, the justice they deserve, right? Well, I'm here to do, I'm here to do the least I could do. I'm the minimum common denominator here. And that's what's expected of me. And they're proud of it. And I want to, you know, philosophically smack them in the face, of course, because <laughs> we don't, we don't condone violence here. We're, we're non-aggression like, like MLK, right? Um, in the, in this podcast, at least, um, you know, you think you're being smart and being all wise about telling me this? You're just telling me you're mediocre and that you're proud of being mediocre, right? And if you're a new examiner coming into the field and, and the folks that are, not everybody, but you have folks around you that have that attitude, don't copy that attitude, right? Um, <laughs> they're not the best role models, right? Uh, we're here to do the best work that we can do. Right. And, you know, we got folks in the chat even saying we had the same attitude in, in corporate companies. Right. And and interests that come in and you know, we can talk about we talk in other episodes about generational gaps and all that. Um, but I think it's, that speaks to the fact that that people, folks, you know, some folks don't want to do the work. They want to get paid and not put their best or their maximum effort as what I have here behind me in the in the lighted marquee, right? And obviously it's a phrase that I like from Deadpool, but that's another story. Um put that maximum effort. If you are in if you're like, well, you know what? I was on the road. I'd rather be in the lab. I'm tired of being on the road. Don't come to the lab just because you don't want to be on the road, right? Come to the lab because you want to actually do the job. You actually want to learn. You want to grow. You want to give justice to the victims. If not, then you're not what are you doing? Right. Uh, thanks for putting all the the folks in in, in the chat. And we got folks. 
Yeah, no, and we got folks saying, you know, a part of that training is also, you know, giving the expert testimony part. Like I mentioned before, the tool, you can press the buttons, the tool will give you an output, but if you don't understand what's behind that output, if you didn't go and look at Ian's blog and understand what MapSync is, is actually recording, whatever you're seeing on the map, you're going you're gonna to say something that's totally wrong, okay? If you take some geolocation points and you're not aware of the accuracy level of that data, you're going to say that's something that's totally wrong. Or like Shafiq saying in his article, and this is the point, and I, I didn't give you, I think I didn't give you that part to show on the screen, but I'm going to read it. He said at the end of the, of the article, Therefore, it is critical and incumbent upon law enforcement agencies to ensure their members that are involved in any manner of digital forensics be trained to an appropriate standard of practical knowledge so they can act as proficient witnesses when required to testify. Equally, prosecutors too must be aware of the level of knowledge, skill, and limitations of the police witnesses they are calling to testify about digital forensics. And I think that really encompasses, uh, he did a great article on that because that's been bothering me for a few months now because I've seen it too often. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect. That's not the point, right? Because we all have a, we all have our, our growth. We all grow, right? And different levels of growth. And we move forward with that, this growth mindset that, you know, me and Heather, we've been talking about that concept for some time now. Yeah. Um, but we expect more from you. The, 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 the public expects more from you. The citizens expect more from you. You should expect more from yourself if you're listening to this, right? And then let's do it. Put that maximum effort. Come on. It's funny you say mediocre because that makes me think of an old old criminal justice professor that I had when I was doing my associate's degree. Um, I was in for police science and he said to the class, if you're getting C's, you're a mediocre student and mediocre students will become mediocre, mediocre cops. We don't need any mediocre cops, so you should change your major now. And... I couldn't agree more. <laughs> no, and, and and that's how it is. And and yeah. I mean, obviously, just having a degree and you know, make sure this people understand this. Just because you have a degree doesn't mean that you know everything or that you're qualified. That doesn't mean that, because people, some people go path through college, but college didn't pass through them, <laughs> right? Yeah, or or college wasn't exactly the university that's doing enough to prepare the students for the digital forensic job they're about to take. Uh, ab- um, absolutely, uh, I agree. I think there's I, a lot of that. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean it becomes. I mean, some are diploma mills, or they're they're, they're just mm-hmm. they're, they're there to make money, not to really educate you. So that's you know right. I think that's a whole other topic. Yeah. But <laughs> still, really relevant. Don't get me wrong. Now, that's again that speaks to management. How are we putting those butts in those chairs, right? Even if they're coming from a degree and we speak some baseline, we need to make sure that we're able to guide them to a kind of a certification process, if internal. Or external. What I mean by that is, you can say, well, some agencies say, well, we're going to send our folks to IASIS, right? And they're going to take the BCFE in IASIS, and they have to pass it. And IASIS is no joke, right? Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, it's no joke. Again, it's not everything you need to know, but it's a big thing to get, right? right. So those agencies decide that an external entity, based on the standards, that, which are pretty high standards, I mean, Heather or ourselves, we're both certified by IASIS. We teach for IASIS, right? So we believe in their mission as a nonprofit. And they have good content, okay? They get certified and they can go to court and say, well, yes, I am certified as a, a computer forensic examiner by, on IASIS. And you have that backing, right? But that means accountability. If your employee is sent and doesn't just decides to spend those two weeks chilling out of the pool and not learning, 
You know what I mean? Right. And coming back and telling you, well, I'll just press buttons on the computer. There needs to be some res um, some um, response to that, some accountability, some consequences. That's the word I'm looking for. Some mm -hmm. consequences, right? Guess what? Well, you're going back to the road or you're going back to wherever you came from <laughs> because this just has some requirements, all right? Yeah. And you'll be surprised with people that go to these courses and it's like a vacation. They don't go there to learn anything, which again, really grinds my gears, right? <laughs> so, so, so there's different ways of how we go about as managers how putting those butts in those chairs and, and again, accountability and has to be part of this process, right? Those consequences, you know, we got, if, if you make a good job, you get trained, you'll have a fulfilling job. You'll be able to really put an input in the cases that are coming through your AOR or area of responsibility, right? And you'll make a difference in the lives of people. That's what motivates us, right? And we get paid, right? Because that's our job, right? <laughs> um, but if you don't have that, then you don't need to be here, right? We, Training, digital forensics training is freaking expensive, okay? And if you're in law enforcement like ourselves, these are resources that come from hardworking citizens, okay? And if you go through it to not do anything good with it, you're stealing from our pockets in a sense, right? I'm not telling you, not literally, directly, but you know what I mean, right? Because we're not making good use of those resources, all right? Um, so I think we need to start creating that culture or cultural approach as examiners across the board, right? That when when we as examiners think, what is an examiner? That every one of us here in the, that are listening in our labs, that we are clear in what that means and we expect that from other examiners. Does that make sense, Heather? Uh, the, the I'm, look, I'm looking for a word and I cannot find it right now, but that, that like, a, like that, I guess like the corporate culture of the field, of the digital forensics field, right? That we have an expectations. The citizens have expectations. Management should have an expectation. You should have an expectation of yourself. And the folks that work with your colleagues, we have an expectation of you as well. And we should hold each other to that high standard. Hopefully that is more clear now. Yeah, it is very clear. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, just one other point on what you were, you were talking about with the training. Um, the training needs to start at the fundamentals too. Oh, so yeah. I know I know there's all of the the tool trainings and learning the tool is excellent, but the fundamentals of forensics should be the very first class, in my opinion. Go learn about the ones and zeros and then come back and be paired with somebody for some on the job training um, and go to those uh, tool specific trainings. Um, but the I, the fundamentals have to be learned first. If you don't have that, the tool training is not going to make as much sense. Well, and, and how do you know the tool is right? <laughs> Right. Oh, <laughs> because the, 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 the tool could be wrong, <laughs> right? It, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you don't have the fundamentals, the tool might spit some nonsense and you'll be like, hey, great. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you're just going to let it go, right? <laughs> um, the fundamentals teach you to, to the validation process needs those fundamentals, right? Uh, oh, I got to read this. Thanks for bringing yes, it up. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Michael is saying, is operator part of the Dauber standard for... DFI testifying at court. <laughs> and if you're not in this business as, as a person that testifies and knows about it, being qualified as an expert, you might not get the joke. Um, but uh, I do get the joke and I like it. <laughs> and obvious, obvious, obviously it's not. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, yeah, so the fundamentals are important. And especially, not, not only because the tool could be wrong, there could be things the tool does not pick up, right? And if you right. don't understand a basic of fundamentals, and it's something that Geraldine, again, I know she's listening, and we work mm -hmm. together in a whole bunch of cases. When Protobuf came out, um, we didn't know how to really understand it. And she has the fundamentals. She knows how to look at hex. She knows how to uh, uh, bite sweep. She knows how to identify timestamps and convert them. And she started building 
that probe of data and and we're able to get what we needed, right? Fundamentals are important. If you don't think they're important, again, you might not be at the right place. You might not right. be cut out to do this job. And there's no shame on that, right? No. I'm not cut out to be a lawyer or a, or a medical doctor. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's that's not against me. Like, do you want me to be your medical doctor? I hope not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, not, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I might be your gym trainer. I can do that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not a doctor, right? Or, or, or your lawyer. You, you're you're going to go to jail. But if you, you have me as a lawyer. But there's no shame in saying, you know what? I, I don't have... A passion for this field. I don't really feel like learning these things. Right. I don't belong here, and that's okay. You you find where you belong, and we'll we'll support you on that. And that's that's okay. Actually, too. I mean, coming in whether you're just graduated college and you're coming in as a digital forensic examiner or coming in as a sworn member, um, you're going to be learning for the rest of your career. So if you thought school was over. Um, no school, school has just begun and it will be class after class and self-learning and you're never going to stop with the education if you come into this field. Oh, absolutely. And you have to be honest with yourself, right? If you're not honest with yourself in regards to what the job requires, you're not going to be honest with the cases. What I mean by that is you might come to a new piece of information from Ian's blog or from somebody that's really, you know, high speed because that's all they do in their daily job. Like, really knowledgeable people. And you might have to go back and look at an, an, an old case and say, you know, or a case that's ongoing, figure out, you know what, this new knowledge applies to my case. I need to apply it. I can't just sit down and say, well, you know, I'll get another slide. You know, I don't want to rock the boat. Uh, no, you. this job requires dedication, requires probity and honesty. I mean, I guess all law enforcement jobs require that. True. Yeah. But, but digital forensics is pretty clear cut on that. Clear cut, right? Uh, as new information comes in, you might have to revisit old cases. And that's a good thing. You, you might have to go and make sure your conclusions are correct at all times. And that's an on, always ongoing process. It, like, like, like Heather's saying, it's never going to end. Um, nope. So and any, even if you retire, the younger folks will pick up that mantle, will pick up the, the torch, and will keep <laughs> moving forward, right? It never ends. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Thank you for letting me get out of my chest. I feel like a weight's been lifted. I was waiting to see if you had anything else there for a second. Uh, look, if you push right. me a little bit, I bet I do. <laughs> Let's save it for the next episode, I All guess. Right. That sounds good. That sounds good. Um, so another topic that we had for this week is sources of error in digital forensics. There was an article by um, Science Direct that talks about the error the sources of error in digital forensics. So um, it kind of says like the incurrence of errors in forensic practice is inevitable, which, which of course it is. And we may not feel uncomfortable with that idea, but it's a truth that there will be errors um, throughout the process. Um, But in digital forensics, the field digital forensics in particular, um, those errors can have great repercussions, right? So (laughs) I'll let you go. I'll let you go and I'll chime in. So (laughs) Oh yeah, no, yeah, you, you know, you know, you know, I, 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 I'm. What, how do they call it? Biting on the bit? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Chomping, chomping, <laughs> chomping at the, at the bit. bit. Thank you. So look you again. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm coming from Puerto Rico, so I'm, I'm still. Even though I've been here for so many years, I'm still learning all these phrases, right? <laughs> chomping at the bit. Yeah. Look. Yeah. So, uh, the article is by Dr. Orsman. I mean, he's well known in the field, right? He's been around mm-hmm. forever. Uh, academic of you know with with a capital A, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so so read this right. I, I like it because it's a taxonomy of what be 
could be problems within your, within your process. And this type of academic exercise is super important because if you're not aware of the categories of problems or errors, and he has a whole list. I wish I could, I could, you know, go on and, and, and read them all. But he defines what's an error. Why is it important? How do you attribute it? The causal factors. Is the problem in the source? Is, is the interpretation? The forms of error, a random error, a systematic error, a negligent error, right? And then how do you map those errors? How do they apply to your, to your forensic process? How do, I ident- how do I identify it? How do you manage it? How to mitigate it? How do you prepare for it? Because committing errors or mistakes based on that taxonomy that he explains is unavoidable. Your, your brain is going to grow, right? And grow in the sense that you will be able, now that you have that knowledge, to identify them and mitigate them before they happen. Or if they happen, you're able to solve them in a way that does not impact your case. Does that make sense? So this type of academic article, you may be like, oh, it's a little bit, some bit of a dry reading, which actually his article is not. It's not dry reading at all. It's a really accessible article. But you might come across some other academic articles a little bit dry. Go through them anyways, right? Be on, be on the lookout for those. Be part of the community because that will give you a special, a special I guess the word, but awareness around you of the what you're doing, right? And then you're aware of, what, of those problems. If you don't take the time to figure out the type of errors that could come up, when they happen, you won't recognize them. You won't be able to pinpoint them out. And I don't want the defense attorney to pinpoint it to me on the stand nope. because that's going to suck. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And I that's talking to me as a, as an, as an expert for the prosecution. Right. But if you are an expert, not in the law enforcement field, but in corporate or whatever, right. You don't want to be, uh, you know, confronted with a, an error that you could have taken care of. If you would have been aware of it. Right. So it's a great article. And I think it's, it's worthwhile to take time and, and to study that. Yeah. And I mean, some of the points that are in the article. So the the people make errors point is is great. But on the law enforcement side of things, it could mean a wrongful conviction or a suspect that walks free. So um, knowing how to handle those errors, super important. And then um, he has a part where the the tools make errors. Um, It's our job to ensure that these errors are caught and that we can rectify them. We validate the data. and then the misinterpretation of data, that comes back into what we were just talking about. So mm-hmm. prior tra- prior training um, and testing is mandatory when it, uh, misinterpretation of data, when interpretation of data in digital forensics is is comes to light. Um, so, yeah, it's a great no, article. The, the, no, the, the one that scares me a lot is errors in the source itself, right? Yeah. Because you can go and extract some logs from a location and the timestamps might be wrong. Did I take time to validate that the clocks on these computers, an example, right? That the clocks on these systems that I'm extracting is correct, right? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is, it, is it properly timed, right? Because then if I just don't do that and take it at face value, I will have a problem because the problem is on the actual recording level from the beginning, right? So again, that taxonomy of, of possible errors, how to mitigate them, worth your time uh, to check out. Yeah, and I don't think the article talks about this, but when it comes to the misinterpretation of data specifically, watch for overconfidence, right? You see mm-hmm. you see um, an artifact, it's like, oh, I know what that means just by looking at it. You don't necessarily know what it means just by looking at it. You have, just go look at Ian Whiffen's new blog, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, he found some things that he thought were one way and they're not. So watch that overconfidence. Um that that could definitely get you in trouble if you're on the on the stand with too much confidence in something that may be misinterpreted. 
Well, I mean, and you can be used to an, art an artifact to behave a certain way at all times, mm -hmm. and then a new update comes mm -hmm. up and it changes. Yeah. <laughs> and again, Brett, another again good friend of the podcast and, and friend of, personal friend as well, he says, uh, refusal to accept, admit, and correct errors or mistakes make for makes for a short career. And he, he couldn't be any more correct. And, and this is the thing, our egos get in the way, and that's the problem, right? We need to be really check ourselves because... Sometimes we, we we resist being corrected, and that's a normal human, you know, uh, issue that we have, right? Yeah. We 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 don't want to be called out. We don't want to be incorrect, but you know, we need to be humble as well. Um, be be open to criticism, and and I say criticism in the in a constructive way. That's why the forensic process we have quality assurance methodologies, right? We have peer reviews, mm -hmm. and you have to be open to that. You have to be naked. Not literally, right? But <laughs> emotionally naked. Like you're like, look, I'm here. This is what I did. I will be criticized. I'm not gonna take it personal. I'm here to learn from those criticisms right. and grow, mm -hmm. right? And if there's a mistake, you need to learn, correct, and grow. Like 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 Brad is saying. So I think our field, all this is codified. We need to make sure we apply it and 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 you know live uh, and walk our talk. Another expression that I learned not too long ago. <laughs> So it's everybody's favorite time. It is the meme of the week. And Yay! <laughs> that's that's my favorite time. <laughs> Let me share my screen here. Ah, uh, there we go. So the meme of the week this week says, "I think I forgot something." The third-party tool says, "If you forgot that, it wasn't important." And he says, yeah, you're right. And then there's a picture of uh, a kid with a soccer ball out in the rain. His parents forgot to pick him up, it looks like. And evidence in unsupported apps. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one to describe verbally. So I'll prop on you for trying. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was pretty good. Right? And I, 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 I love this because, you know, it speaks to the, the classic, you know, us to have kids like, Oh, yeah, it's fine. And the kid is waiting for you to pick him up. And it's at yeah. night at the soccer games. Poor kid is wet. <laughs> that, that poor kid is your evidence, your main evidence, your smoking gun. You're like, oh, right, well, right. if the tools didn't show it to me, it doesn't exist, right? <laughs> right. And and again, that, that really, I think it's, and, you know, Heather Heather's in charge of picking the meme of the week, right? And uh, <laughs> I think she picked a really good one because it really kind of make goes, takes us back full circle, right, to what we're discussing, right? right. Um. Or all that we discussed today in regards to how we come into the field, how we manage that, how we make sure people are trained, what our attitude should be, and how we work with our tools, dealing with errors and all that. It all comes for a circle in us being aware that we need to go always that step, extra step that's needed. Because an extra step will always be needed in your analysis, in your view of the data, in how you present it, and even how you speak about it, right? Um, we need to get that extra step. Um, we don't want to... Uh, leave our evidence or our victims out in the rain, right? Waiting for us, and we're not picking them up, right? right. So you know, uh, good good pick for me of the week. So I appreciate that, Heather. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So uh, again, I mean, thank you everybody for being with us here. Uh, I appreciate all the folks that rolled in for the discussion, for the comments. Uh, we love your comments. Again, it's, it's a community, and we build each other with them. Um, Michael is saying thanks for the posts that we're putting out and thanks to him and everybody that also is part of the community in LinkedIn and uh, again reach out to us hit us up on the Digital Forensics Now uh, podcast uh, LinkedIn page 
with suggestions, with questions, topics that you might want us to hear from us discuss, and we'll try to bring those to you. Thank Anything you very else much. for the good of the order, Heather? Uh, that's it. Thank you very much, everybody. All right. Well, we'll see each other in a couple of weeks. Yep. See you in two weeks. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.